You know what would be awesome? Is if on November 19th, we've already got the money raised. If we can just get to November 19th, and uh, because some of you have already demonstrated generosity in the past, and because we're all in that space where we're trying to, to listen to the, to the voice of God, if God writes that on your heart, um, what you know that he wants you to do, uh, then the coming days, the next week or so, pull me aside. And, uh, and I say that just based on our history. You know, in the history of Zion, we have done some, some unique things, and God has stretched people's faith, and we've gotten to moments like this knowing that God's already showed up and has already um, spoken to people. And if that's kind of where some of you are at, and you say, hey, this is what I believe God wants me to do, um, I think we could raise the dollars probably between about five families, um, you know, being generous. And then the rest of us get to pile on top and just add to um, what, what God, God's doing in and, and, and through, our, through our generosity. So again, what, what Jacob said is, is very important and I think true. Don't just settle with your number. Some of you already have a number. Um, take that now to God and say, God, is this your number for me? Is this the commitment? Is this the amount of sacrifice? Is this the generosity level that you have for me to give on that day? Um, or is there something else? Is there something more? Do you want to stretch me to a place where, where I'm giving in a way that is beyond me, that really does require faith? And, uh, and again, Zion, you guys know me. If you guys, like, we don't talk about money a lot at Zion. Very rarely do we even mention money. Um, but when we, when we think about this kingdom builders offering, this is about money that we're giving away. Um, this is not about money that's coming, coming to stay. This is about money that we want to give away uh, to these three different um, ministries that we're passionate about because we love Angelo and because we love Missy and because we love the Gormleys uh, in the Philippines. So um, take that, pray about it, and if God, God gives you something to, to share with me, um, we'll, we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be listening over the next couple of weeks. So, all right, let's jump in. We are almost done with our series called Experiencing God. And if you've not been with us, uh, it's been all the entire fall season. Uh, this is week nine, I believe, uh, of our series. And we've been uh, utilizing the study Experiencing God that was written some 30 years ago. Uh, many folks have been reading the, the book. Uh, others are going through a workbook. Uh, tons of us are meeting weekly in discipleship groups to discuss what we're hearing, what we're learning, how we're growing. It has been a good, good journey for us as a church. As a matter of fact, when we come together, let me add one more thing on November 19th. When we come together on November 19th, I want to hear from you. I want to hear how you've experienced God through your study of the, of the material, of your conversations in life groups and D groups, uh, Sunday mornings, in your own private time. What has God done? What's he said? How's he grown you? How's he stretched you? And so would you consider sharing on November 19th? And I'm not sure exactly yet how we're going to do it. We want to have some folks uh, pre-planned and have you ready to share. But then I'm going to do something I hardly ever, 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 ever do on a Sunday morning. So I'm just preparing you for it right now. Yes, we are going to have an open mic moment where you'll just have an opportunity to share if God has um, taught you something, stretched you through this series. And uh, y'all, if you know me, you know that that's a stretch for me 
to do that on a Sunday morning, um, um, but uh, we're going to do it. So um, be, be excited, be ready for it. So real quickly, here's what we've learned over the last several weeks. We've learned that God is always at work. God is an active God. He is always at work and he pursues us, right? We don't chase after him. He pursues us. He pursues a love relationship with us. And then as a bonus, he invites us to join him in his work in the world. He invites us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And how does he do that? Well, he speaks to us. He speaks to us in a variety of ways to reveal to us more of who he is and what his assignment for us is in the world in which he is working. When that happens, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we, got, we come off into a crisis of belief because when we hear God speak, it's to ask us, to call us, to invite us to do something that we're not currently doing, to take a step that we haven't yet taken, to stretch our faith in ways that we've not been stretched before, right? That crisis of belief leads some to say, no, thank you, and they walk away from that moment. It causes some to doubt, but prayerfully, it, it causes most of us, all of us, to lean in and say, yes, I, I accept the excitement. I hear your voice speaking to me. I'm going to do what it is that you're asking me, calling me, inviting me to do in the world because I'm convinced of your love for me. But then last week, we talked about this, that when that happens... We've got to adjust. That, that, that his voice to us, his, him speaking to us that leads us to a crisis of belief will always lead us to have to adjust something about our lives. And so that gets us to today. Today's bottom line is simply this. Write this down. It's only when we adjust that we come to know God by experience. Until we've made some kind of adjustment in our life, We'll never really get to know God by experience. And there's another word for what we, what we just said that I, I, wanted to, I want to be our focus today. And it's, it's not a good word for most of us. As a matter of fact, we can call it a Christian cuss word. You want to know what it is? It's this word, obedience. So I'm going to pause for a minute. And now that you know that this is what we're going to talk about today, if anybody needs to leave, go ahead, just like, just slip out, right? And just go ahead and I, I get it, right? And, and, and again, obedience, when you, when you put it all together, when you, when you step back and kind of think about this study in its entirety, and when you think about our faith journey, it really does boil down to this, whether you're, you've been reading or writing or talking it really comes down to this. Experiencing God is impossible apart from obeying God. It's impossible. You won't experience him until and unless you are obeying him. Obedience is the ultimate litmus test for following Jesus. More than anything else, it's our actions, not our words, that validate our faith that validate what we say we believe. That's why James said to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers and not hearers only. Why does this matter? 
I think we can think of it in two, in two different kind of ways. And we'll put it up on the screen. The first is this, is that obedience opens the door to intimacy with God. And again, if we want to experience God, if we want to have a close, intimate, deep, real relationship with our Heavenly Father, obedience is what opens the door for that to become a reality. The opposite, disobedience, disobedience, we can say, disconnects us from God. I'm not saying it separates us from God. There's a big difference. But if we live with continued, ongoing disobedience, then there is a disconnect that happens from that intimacy that's available with God when we choose to live a life of obedience. But unfortunately, obedience is not a word we like to use in connection to God. Well, why, why is that? Why don't we like the word obedience? Well, I, maybe, you'd have to answer for yourself, but I think maybe if we're just being real and being honest, obedience is really just a concrete word. It's a very concrete word. You either do what God says or you don't. You either are obeying or you are not obeying. O obedience really is concrete. I, I think instead what we tend to do is we, when it comes to God, we lean on how we feel when we consider our connection with God. We'll say or, or think things like this. Well, I, I feel close to God. I, I, I feel close to him. I feel like I'm, I'm doing the right things. I, I, I feel like everything's good with me and God. Again, there's a difference between our feelings and our actions. What is true and what we feel, especially as it relates to our walk with God. You ever wonder why, again, we don't like the word obey? I think another reason is, is that, man, the word obey feels like another word that we don't like, especially in the, in a, in a, in a, in our, in the working world, in, in our careers, in our professions. It's the word compliance. Doesn't obedience feel like compliance? How many of you have compliance meetings at work? How many of you get emails or documents about compliance? You, you, you have a phone call from your supervisor and it says, well, the you know, compliance says we got to do this. You, you get something from HR that says, hey, that's, that's not in compliance with our rules, our conducts, our, the way we do things. And when we are in kind of our career path, that word compliance makes us bristle, right? It, it creates a little angst. We just don't like compliance, partly because of the fact that we're human and by, by the nature of the fact that we're human, we are natural born rebels. We push back against the idea of somebody telling us what to do, right? That, that's just kind of in us because of the fall, right? But it's also in us because we're Americans. Amer we, we don't like complying. We are who we are as a nation because we didn't want to comply, right? It's just part of our DNA. But 
when we think about our walk with God, compliance is not the way to consider obedience. They're, they're completely different. As a matter of fact, just thinking about it this way, and I, and I don't know if this is going to connect with you, but, but if, if our obedience to God is rooted in kind of this compliance mentality, like when you get the email from your boss or supervisor, you're like, I'll do it, but I'm not going to like it. I'll complete that paperwork, but it's going to make me mad. I'll, I'll go to that you know, meeting. I'll wear that hat. I'll do this or that, right? I'll, I'll, I'll do it, but I don't like it. And we just push back on it in our hearts, right? The whole time. If that's how we think about obedience in our relationship with God, I don't like it, God, but I'll do it. I'll just, I'll comply to you. That isn't Jesus' way. That isn't what Jesus taught when he talks about Obedience. That's not what we understand the scriptures to mean when it talks about obedience. Compliance mentality is rooted in man-made religion. Man-made religion will always lead to just settling for and sometimes pushing a compliance mentality. Just do what you're told, a pastor will say. Just do what we say, a denomination will teach. And if we're not careful, we can fall just into, I'm just doing this because, well, that's what my church says, that's what my, my pastor says, is what, you know, the people above me and my leadership, you know, team say. Like, that, that's no fun, and that's no way to think about our obedience. Be mindful of churches and leaders who try and use a compliance mentality rather than lead you to follow Jesus for a much better reason. And that's the reason we're going to talk about today. Love. There's a big difference between following and obeying out of compliance and out of love. See, my prayer for us today and forever as a church is for us to see obedience to Christ not as a list of rules to follow, but as the normal, natural, and most importantly of all, reasonable byproduct of love. God's love for us and our love for God. We, we know this. Have to is never a good motivator, is it? Have to is never a good motivator. I mean, apply it to our marriages, those of us who are married, or apply it to any other important relationship. If we feel like we have to do certain things within the relationship, we're revealing something about ourselves, about how we view the relationship in and of itself. If I have to do things for Pam, or if I feel like I have to do things for my kids or my grandkids, it, again, it tells me something about me and how I view our relationship. But get to, get to, that, that motivation is rooted in love. I get to serve my wife. I get to demonstrate love by doing something for her. I, I get to help my kids. I, I get to do things for my grandkids, right? It, it, it's completely different. So a question that I want us to put on the table today before we look at a, a few passages of scripture is this, is what would it look like to think of our obedience to Christ as the ultimate expression of our love for Christ? And here's a hint. It really is. 
our obedience for Christ really is, or at least it ought to be, the ultimate expression of our love for him. I get to obey, not I got to obey. I mean, what would it look like to actually look for? I mean, actually look for more and more and more ways to obey Christ simply because you want to demonstrate more and more and more ways to show him that you love him. Like, we go looking for it. Like in our life, we, we bump up to somebody who does us wrong, somebody who hurts us and offends us, and, and our immediate thought is, oh my goodness, because the Father loves me, and, and the Father in love forgives me, hey, I get to forgive this person who wronged me. And how many of, approach, how many of us approach forgiveness as a get-to? Now, I know that a lot of us have approached forgiveness as, well, I got to. I know I need to forgive that person because, you know, God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me, so I guess I've got to forgive him or her for what they did or what they said. What if we flip that and we're like, you know what, I get to do this. I get to forgive because of love. I get to forgive. You hear somebody talk about a commitment they want you to make. They ask you for some of your time. They ask you for, for a little bit of your energy, some of your spiritual gifts. And instead of going like, well, I guess I ought to give some time, give some energy, give of this. We're like, I get to do this. I, because I love Jesus and because I know he loves me, I get to do this thing that I've been invited to do. I get to. I don't got to. I get to. Big difference. I, I get to sacrifice time. I get to give generously. You're having a conversation with somebody at work and faith comes up and instead of you going, oh no, I guess I better talk about Jesus. We're like, hey, look what God has done. He's given me an opportunity. I get to talk about Jesus. Awesome. Like, do you see the difference? Like, compliance mentality, oh, I got to do it. That's no fun. But a mentality that's born out of love, that makes all of the difference in the world. What if we were convinced that, that real joy is found in obeying God's commands? I mean, I want us to get to that place in our faith journey to be able to live a life of obedience born out of love for God that leads to a life filled with deep and abiding joy. And I want us to see now in scriptures why I believe we can get there and, and, and the pathway to, to get us there. We're going to look at some hard passages that if, if you're in, in the, uh, the book or workbook and experiencing God and have already done this, you've already read some difficult, challenging passages, but I want us to look at uh, them today. The first one is from 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. John, the apostle who wrote these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, also wrote the Gospels. But listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 3. The verses will be up on the screen. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a what? Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected, or it's matured, it's made, made complete. By this we may know that we are in him. How? If we obey him. If we obey him. Then verse 6, whoever says he abides, that word abide is important in over the last several weeks, that, that dwells, that, that lives in communion with. Whoever says he abides in him, in Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Again, no reason for you to know this, but that phrase that, that John uses here would have been a very Jewish thing to say. When he says, if anyone claims to be in Christ, ought to, must walk as Jesus walked. What does he mean? Well, if I want to know how you're doing, what do I ask you? How are you doing? How are you doing? I've asked many of you that many a times over the years. And, and you would inevitably and have inevitably said things like, I'm good. Or I'm fine. Or maybe I'm okay. Maybe you've been honest and so I'm, I'm not so good. I'm, I'm bad. I'm sad. I'm a little distraught. Maybe some of you have said, I'm feeling a little melancholy today. Right? Or a thousand other things that you can say in response to, hey, how are you doing? But what they all have in common, and I want you to, to listen carefully, what all of those responses have in common is that they immediately remove us from the concrete, physical, measurable world to an abstract conversation about emotions and feelings, right? Here's the thing. There's no way for me to know whether or not it's actually true. So when I say, how, you're how are you doing? You can say, man, I'm good. But in reality, your life could be an absolute train wreck. But I don't know that because you said, saw good. But see, in the Jewish world, they wouldn't have asked that question. They wouldn't have asked it that way. If they wanted to know how you're doing, they wouldn't ask how you're doing. What they would ask would have been this. How's your walk? Or how are you walking? How's your walk? The idea, again, comes from this biblical concept that it's God who creates a path for us and that we're called to follow. We're called to walk on the path. We see that kind of language throughout the scriptures. A very familiar psalm. Your word is a light to my feet, a lamp unto, or light on my path, lamp to my feet, or a light for my path. God gives us a path to walk on. And so, again, his word lights the path so we can walk in it. And our call, yours and mine's call to follow God is to walk the path that he shows me. And so, again, the question that a Jewish person would ask was, how are you walking now? How are you walking now? And doesn't that open the door for a much more concrete conversation? 
And again, this is what John says. Whoever abides in him, claims to be in Christ, ought to walk the way Jesus walked. Translation, you ought to be able to see it. Again, not perfect perfection. We're, we're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about learning to walk as Jesus walked. And, and where does John get this idea from? Why does he communicate this? Well, because it's what he heard and what he was taught from his rabbi, from Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, turn back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Listen to these words from Jesus. <clears throat> John 14, starting in verse 15. And I'm going to just read down to verse uh, 24. All right, so just follow along. It says, if you love me, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Pretty simple. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. Again, we've talked about the Holy Spirit's role in helping us to obey. We can't obey on our own. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. He becomes our helper, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Then Jesus continues with, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Again, there's that communion, there's that abiding language. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will make myself known to him as we love, as we obey. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest, make known yourself to the world and not to, and to, to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Again, there's that abiding, there's that communion. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. This is the, Jesus is like, I'm not speaking on my own behalf. This is what the Father wants me to say. The, the, these are his words. These are, these are his instructions. See, let me, let me just boil it down to this statement. We can't separate our love for God from our obedience to God. We just can't. We can try to We can say, I love God, but I have an obedience problem. No, 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 no. You have an obedience problem because you have a love problem. Now, again, don't read into what I just said. Don't read more into it than what the text or what I think Jesus is driving at. None of us will obey perfectly. We're not talking about batting a thousand We're just talking about the default posture of our hearts and lives being. When God says something, I'm going to do it. 
not in my own strength, but in the power of the Spirit that lives in me, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to debate it. I'm not going to yeah, but the command. I'm not going to look for a loophole. I'm not going to say, well, someday I will. My posture is going to be, how do I go about obeying this command? If that's not your default posture, when you think about your relationship with God, it's not a commandment obedience problem. It's a love problem. You can't separate the two. That's what Jesus said. That's what John was saying, which again ought to say something about how we go about examining our own lives. We should ask ourselves the question, how am I obeying? Not how am I feeling? Or what am I believing? See, I, I don't think many of us have a belief problem. We believe the right things. The problem comes with how am I obeying? Again, being honest, we're friends. What often happens is when I'm looking at myself, I often measure myself not against Jesus' commands, but my standard is often, well, at least I'm not. At least I'm not him. At least I'm not her. At least I'm not them. At least I'm not a serial killer. Right? My, my standard for living for myself is Jeffrey Dahmer. But my standard for other people is Mother Teresa. Everybody else better have their act together, but I'm going to grade myself on a curve. I'm going to measure myself on a curve. I'm going to be kind to myself and hard on everybody else. But again, what John is saying, anybody who claims to have Christ should walk as Jesus walked. Therefore, when I'm measuring myself, he's the standard. He, he's the measuring stick. He, he's who I line my life up against. Not somebody who I know I score higher than, if that were even a thing. So, where does that lead me? Well, let's go down this thought path for a minute. If Jesus is our measuring stick, and he is, I think we should take a minute to look at what motivated his obedience, right? What motivated Jesus's obedience to the Heavenly Father? Because what motivated Jesus's obedience ought to be what motivates our obedience. Fair enough? Write that down. What motivated Jesus's obedience ought to be what motivates our obedience. Remember the whole compliance mentality? I don't think you see anything in the scriptures where Jesus obeyed out of that compliance mentality. Gets the email, like, oh man, I hate doing this, but I gotta do it. If I wanna keep my job, I gotta do it. What motivated him? Well, if you have your Bible, turn over just one chapter to John chapter 15, verses nine through 11. Here's what Jesus said. He said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved in you. And then he says, Abide in my love. So there's that, that three 
Kind of the Father to the Son, the Son to us. In the same way the Father loved me, Jesus says, I'm loving you. And I want you to learn to live, to abide, to dwell, to immerse yourself in that love. Then he connects it to obedience. If you love my commandments, you will abide, dwell, linger, connect with, dwell in, immerse yourself in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and I abide, dwell in, immerse myself in his love. And then listen to what it says. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Again, Jesus here gives his disciples some insight into what motivated his obedience. What was it? It was his deep confidence in his father's love for him. And because he was convinced that his father loved him deeply, he then could model that love for us. Full stop. This is a hurdle for some of us. This is the hurdle when it comes to obeying God. Some of us struggle with obedience because we first and foremost are not convinced that he loves me. And if you're not convinced of the Heavenly Father's love for you, then it's no wonder why you would struggle with obeying his commands. Some in this room need to hear your heavenly father say, I love you. And believe it. Embrace it. Welcome it. Receive it. Internalize it. Because that's what's keeping you from obeying when he says, do this, or do this, or do this. Others, our struggle's a little bit different. Our, our struggle, if we're being honest, some in this room, our struggle with this idea of obedience is that we think that our, our obedience is somehow a factor in how much he loves us. And so your motivation for obeying is not compliance, it's affirmation. I'm going to keep doing this and keep doing this and keep doing this because I want to earn my father's love. And some of that might be born out of how your, your earthly fathers treated you, right? You had to always try to earn and do more and do more and do more to get your thought process is to get your father to love you. And so you've carried that same thought process into your relationship with Jesus, thinking that you have to obey to earn his love. And again, that is no way to have a relationship with God. That is no way to go about following Jesus. I heard somebody talk about this this week, and it just, I never thought about this. <clears throat> but he was talking about 
God's connection with, with, with Israel. And he, he, he asked the question, he said, did God give the law to Israel before or after he delivered them from Egypt? The answer is, the answer is after, right? So, so God in love rescued them, his people, out of the hands of Pharaoh, out of the hands of, 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 of the Egyptians, and set them free and then provided for them laws, instructions for their good, for their flourishing. He did not say while they were still in captivity, hey, here's these laws that I want to put in front of you, and if you'll agree to these laws, then I'll deliver you. That's not how God worked. God, out of love, delivered them and then set them on a course for their flourishing by providing them commandments, instructions, the law to follow. And sometimes we get it twisted. We get it backwards. And when we get it backwards, we don't understand God's love. We don't understand the gospel. We don't understand what what following Jesus really is all about. But when we settle in our hearts that God loves us, Here's what it does. It frees us to love him back as imperfectly as we possibly can. It motivates us to obey him with eagerness as imperfectly as we inevitably will. When we're convinced of God's love for us, we can obey out of love because we know we are loved. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Jesus talked about it in the passage that we just looked at. J-O-Y, joy. Listen, our world needs some joy right now, doesn't it? Go back and look at verse 11. When Jesus says in John 15, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, the byproduct of love is joy. And if we, again, think about it, there is a connection between love and obedience, between love and joy, so we can connect all three of them. Love, obedience, joy. They're all connected. And, And that's why I want you to obey out of the overflow of love because Jesus said, and watching true believers obey out of the overflow of, jo- of, of love produces a joy that cannot be explained. The kind of joy that this world needs, the kind of joy that only followers of Jesus Christ can express. It's the kind of joy that shows, uh, that shows up in the middle of pain. It's the kind of joy that shows up in the middle of disappointment. It's the kind of joy that, that shows up in the middle of conflict and difficulty. And only followers of Jesus have the ability to maintain that joy because they're living a life of obedience born out of love for God. John chapter 17, the, the, high, the, the prayer that Jesus prayed when he was uh, uh, in the garden right before he was betrayed, and we're not gonna take the time to read all of it, 
Uh, but again, this week, r- r- read this prayer. But I want us to let our eyes hit verse um, 13. Again, he's praying to his heavenly father. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, you've given me some in this world who know you, are following you. I'm praying for them, but not just for them. But I'm praying for all those who are going to believe in me yet to come. He was praying for us in the garden. And then in verse 13 of John chapter 17, listen to what the, the, he says to his, to his heavenly father. He says, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. See, Jesus' joy is our joy. And what was his joy? Again, if you read the prayer, you, you would find that his joy was doing the will of the Father. It was doing what his Father asked him to do, and he said, that brought me great joy. Now I want my joy to be fulfilled in those who are going to follow me. So what will our greatest joy be in life? Follow along at home, kids. You guessed it. Doing the will of the Father. There you go. Doing the will of the Father. It's what brought joy to Jesus, and it's the kind of joy that he wants us to have. He wants our lives to be filled with joy, and that joy comes when we follow the will of our Heavenly Father. But Jesus' joy, though that joy was very much vertical, he had joy in his Father, just the relationship, the abiding in the Father, right? There was great joy, that vertical connection, And the same thing is true with us. When we think about uh, about joy, there is joy in just being connected to our Heavenly Father, right? The intimacy that we can experience with Him, the closeness with Him. But in the same way that Jesus' joy was not simply vertical, it was also horizontal, so must our joy not simply be about me and my Heavenly Father. It's me and God. It's me and God. It's me and God. It's very personal. Our joy must become horizontal joy in the same way that Jesus' joy wasn't just vertical, it was horizontal as well. Listen to what the Hebrews writer says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us there's that path language again God has a race, he has a path he has something for us to do and then he says this, you want to know how to do it? looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for what? for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There was nothing joyful about the cross. There was nothing joyful about the the shame that he felt and bore as he hung naked in front of the world to see. But Jesus' joy looked further than the cross. It looked through the corridors of time into this reality into those of us who would eventually put our faith in him and him alone. And that was his joy that was out in front of him. His joy was vertical, but his joy was also horizontal. 
And I submit to you that God has a race for each and every one of us that will always include running after people. Running after the people that Jesus died for. Because in doing that, you will find joy because that's what brought Jesus joy. And what brought him joy will bring us joy. We're part of the reason why Jesus was able to have joy as he looked past the cross. And so is our neighbor, our friends, our loved ones, our coworkers, the people who are walking right now in spiritual darkness. They are part of that joy that Jesus saw. So when we're convinced that God has pursued a love relationship with us and we know that he loves us, that brings us joy. But when we begin to pursue others and share the love of Jesus so that they can have the same joy, our joy becomes full. It becomes full to overflowing because we have concluded that life really isn't about us. Life really isn't about us. It's about others. Imagine your life lived that way. Obedience out of overflowing love for the Father because you're convinced that the Father loves you and you love the fact that you have this connection with your Heavenly Father, but it doesn't leave you there. It causes you to turn your eyes outward and go chase after people in love because you want to demonstrate and show the love of, the, of your Father to other people. Imagine a church filled with men and women like that. That's the dream, that's the prayer, that's the desire. So as the worship team comes, a couple of questions that I wanna ask you. <clears throat> Are you convinced of the Father's love? If you still struggle with that, I, I don't know how to convince you other than to plead with you to simply whatever hurdle it is that keeps you from believing that God loves you, period, unconditionally, to, to wrestle with that and figure, what, what, it, what is it? Because it's not God. It's not of God. And today you might just need to come and kneel and say, God, I'm not convinced that you love me, but I know I need to be. Help me. Help me to be convinced of your love. The next question is, are you experiencing the joy that comes from obedience? Like, again, if you're obeying out of love, it should produce joy. And if you're here today and you're a miserable follower of Jesus, I've met a few along, along the way. Like, why? Why are you miserable? Jesus loves you. He's forgiven you. He's given you a relationship with the God of the universe. Maybe it's because you've not taken a step that you know you need to take in obedience to him. So what is that step that's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of joy? I want your joy tank to stay full. So keep taking those next steps of obedience. And then the, the, the next question is, who needs your obedience so that they can know joy? Who needs your obedience? Again, going to them, talking to them, sharing the love of God with them so that they can know joy for themselves. Think about those things, wrestle with those things.
We're going we're gonna to respond, and as we always do, this is for just that. It's for response. This isn't just a couple of songs, the ends, so we can put a nice bow on a service. This is for you to hear from God, having heard from God, excuse me, his word, his spirit, not me. You respond. Some, it might be repentance. Others, it might be confession. Others might be some kind of a prayer of commitment. Some might be in need of prayer, and you tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, would you pray for me? It might be us looking around the room saying, hey, I just want to go pray for that person because God's leading me to. This is a time for ministry, and we want you to feel that. This is a ministry time, all right? But if you're here today, and ultimately, here's the, here's the biggest question. If you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, if you're not a Christian, that's the first step is to put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ alone. You do whatever God's asking you to do, and uh, we're going to sing, and then we're going to have a baptism, and then we'll... Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up the day. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the goodness that is you. Thank you for your love. Continue to grow us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond as God's inviting us today. Sons to